Get off my plane, dear listeners. And welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. On this episode, we're uh, digging into my collection and we're uh, watching a little movie from 1997 called Air Force One. Oh, yeah. I feel like you picked this movie for two reasons because you wanted to give that get off my plane line no <laughs> and because it's really a lot like die hard yes this is one of those die hard scenarios where terrorists take over a confined space and they think that they've rounded up all the hostages and they're all set to make their demands except one sneaky rogue hero has uh, snuck off and is sabotaging their plan. It's our president who can do everything. He's a Vietnam War vet. <laughs> so he can kill everyone in guerrilla style tactics. And he knows how to fly a plane. It's essentially if John Kerry had been elected and got <laughs> stuck in a hostage situation, I guess. Yeah, or John McCain, maybe. I'd like to see that movie. Oh, whoa. Yeah, Old actually, man McCain. Just going crazy and killing everybody with Sarah Palin screaming in the background. Yeah, you know, maybe that maybe that's really the, the best comparison. Actually, but... wait a minute. Imagine Glenn Close play, like, instead of Glenn Close, it's Sarah Palin. Oh, man. Having to make those executive decisions at we'd, the White House. We'd be so screwed. But I think that's kind of part of the appeal of this movie to me. Like, yes, it's it's almost a beat-for-beat beat clone of Die Hard, and we'll get into this a little bit more as we, as we talk about it. But I kind of just love Harrison Ford's depiction of this character who, yes, he's, he's the typical John McClane character, but he's also the President of the United States, and he's going around snapping people's necks and firing off machine guns inside of a plane. Also res- also rejecting everyone's attempts to rescue him. Like, they even throw him into an escape pod and he's like, nope, and he crawls out the top of it and hides well, so he can murder all the terrorists Rambo style. Well, yeah, because his family is on the plane. Yeah. It's, um... There's there's a personal stakes here, and there's also political stakes because he has locked up, uh... General Ivan Radic, who is uh, the dictator of Kazakhstan, uh-huh. uh, where Borat is from. And, uh, and the... Ivan is played by... Oh, Gary Oldman. Well, that's that's a different character. There's two Ivans. Uh, Why are there two Ivans? Apparently, they had a Russian name book, and that sounded like an evil one. Kind of like Ivan yeah. Ooze in the Power Ranger movie. I feel like they passingly heard Ivan the Terrible in their world history class and just zoned in on that. This also borrows from Die Hard 2 in the sense that that was a movie about holding a plane hostage in order to free a dictator. That was literally the plot of Die Hard 2. Although they were doing that remotely in that film, whereas in this one they are on board the plane. And yes, Gary Oldman is sort of the, the Hans Gruber of the pack. He uh, has a mole on the inside, a Secret Service agent, played by Xander Berkeley, sneaks in a bunch of weapons for them. His character is weird to me, but we can go over that later. And even till the bitter end, he's he's still trying to, to foil that damn president. And kind of screws up his own chances of surviving. 
But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Um, we... Sean, you actually had some trailers this time. I'm surprised because it's a rated R movie, not known to have a lot of trailers. Usually those are reserved for kiddie films or, uh, you know, Olsen twins tapes or things like or that. Or the Blair Witch Project. Or the Blair Witch Project. I think Chad will always have the record for most ads on a tape. Including uh, multiple ads for the same movie. Same movies. Yeah. We kick things off with Mask of Zorro. It's that yeah. uh, famous ad that played over and over and over again that summer where it starts off with a brilliant white screen and uh-huh. Antonio Banderas just comes in <laughs> and slices a Z into the screen. Yeah, I think that was the movie where I was first really introduced to Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, yeah. I think that's when the world is introduced to her. Right right around... I don't know if Mask of Zorro or Entrapment came first, but yeah, it's definitely a big movie for her. I was in major anticipation of the Mask of Zorro because as a kid, I was a huge fan of the black and white Zorro TV show that I used to watch on the Disney Channel. It was it used to be on early in the morning and then when it Vault Disney, they would have it on late at night when I was supposed to be going to bed and I got to watch Zorro. And I remember thinking, oh, this movie's not going to be as good. Oh, it's yeah. all right, you know. I remember liking it. I remember, I think I saw it on a plane. <laughs> One interesting thing about it is it's directed by Martin Campbell, who's directed two pretty damn good James Bond films. Um, which ones? Goldeneye, which is pretty good. That's Brosnan's first one. And Casino Royale, which is one of the very best. I did not realize the same guy did Goldeneye and Casino Royale, because those are very different. They, they are different, um, but they're both sort of the introduction of a new actor playing Bond. It's I feel true. like that's sort of his specialty. I feel like if they're smart, they'll bring him back to uh, introduce whoever is the new Bond after Daniel Craig. Kind of like that TV director that you pointed out does all the first episodes of shows. Oh yeah, David Nutter, the pilot whisperer. <laughs> We're followed up with an ad for Les Miserables. I totally forgot that there was one that came out around that time. I kind of thought that the Anne Hathaway recent one was... It's not an adaptation of the musical. It's just an adaptation of the novel. Oh, really? Because they talk about Claire Danes singing in the ad. You know, it's funny. This is another one of those ads that was clearly made before they'd shot a frame of this movie. (laughs) Because it's just like a CGI dove flying around and just the names of the actors flying at you. I don't know why they did this so much in the late 90s. think about that. But amazing cast. I would actually say a better cast than the uh, newer Les Miserables. Aww. Arguably. Liam Neeson, Jeffrey Rush, Uma Thurman, and Claire Danes. Really great cast. I didn't really know about this adaptation either. Yeah, I don't think I ever heard about it. The ad does kind of suggest that it's an adaptation of the musical. Yeah, it does. Without actually saying that, it references how popular the musical is, but then I guess they just turned out an adaptation of the book. Next ad is for Starship Troopers. I think it's another one of those movies that I saw and then I just don't remember it all, like Air Force One. Just a bunch of crazy kids killing bugs. Yeah. I remember enjoying that film. Uh, we've got an ad for another Wolfgang Peterson film, Das Boot. Oh, yeah. Of course, the director of Air Force One. Probably regarded his, to be his masterpiece, I, I guess. It is excellent. Yeah, very long film, but 
Very, very good. Um, and then an ad for a film that I think we both have fond memories of, The Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. Anything with our boy Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're big Bruce Willis fans here on T-Pids. <laughs> I remember this film when I first saw it. I, I remember seeing it in theaters with my dad and... I was just like, what is this movie? It kind of sort of rubbed me the wrong way the first time I saw it. I think I was a little too young to really, like, get into it at the time. Was that... What was your experience like with it? Yeah, I kind of feel like I was too young for it, except that when I would watch it, and we had it on tape, too, and I remember when we'd put it on, I'd be so excited about it because I was so into the, like, the sci-fi scenes and all the excitement and stuff. I think it kind of, like, links in my head with Blade Runner a little bit, too. The, I think the visuals are kind of Blade Runner-like, but it's just so light and kooky and just kind of has this Euro trash sensibility to it that's yeah. really fun. And It's the visuals that stick out for me when I think about it, because I haven't seen it in a, since I was a kid, but it's, I can, I can visualize the movie. Even yeah, if I can't really remember the storyline as well. Another Gary Oldman villain in that. That that was oh, sort yeah. of a mm-hmm. sort of a cottage industry at this time. Gary Oldman would just come in and play your bad guy, no matter what it was. He and Dennis Hopper, I feel like, were the bad guys in a lot of '90s action movies. Well, and Alan Rickman. What besides Die Hard? Uh, Robin Hood. He was in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood as the bad guy, wasn't he? I think he was the sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, I actually didn't see that that version. I feel like there's something else where he played a bad guy. Well, in a way, in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I'm thinking outside Harry Potter, but in a way, in the Harry Potter movies, yeah. So let's jump into Air Force One. Uh, what was your experience with this movie? Because I feel like I sort of came into it kind of late. I can't remember if I saw it in theaters. I know I do remember seeing it in the living room of my childhood home. I remember the setting and I remember certain snapshots of scenes, but I feel like this isn't one that I watched more than once. Because honestly, other than a couple of visuals, the only thing that I really remembered from this movie was when they cable people out at the end, where they're trying to to move people one by one from Air Force One to the military plane. I gotta hand it to this movie, like, they really commit to the setting of the plane. It's not like other films, like Red Eye or, or things like that, where... Most of the action is on the plane, then, like, the whole third act is them running around, like, on mm-hmm. the ground. They have to do all of these crazy mid-air action sequences, some of which really work, and then others that really don't. Yeah. Because of the kind of weird late 90s CGI for some of this. When when you got all the people flying out in their uh, parachutes, it just looks really goofy, so it kind of takes away from the drama of the moment. The cable thing that they do between the two planes, that actually was kind of cool, and I remember that. That was one of the things that stuck in my head from this movie. And just a lot of things I wouldn't think about. It's I think it's pretty clever from a screenwriting point of view, even though it is definitely a ripoff of the Die Hard movies. <laughs> like, just, you know, refueling a plane in midair and yeah. just using the space of the plane and kind of setting up that geography early on. Like, it does. it is definitely a tightly written, uh, if very derivative action movie. Yeah, I remember the the president is rewiring the plane, trying to get it to dump the gas so that he can force the terrorists to land it. And you were so annoyed by this scene. <laughs> it's just one of those classic scenes where he's on the phone, like learning from the techie which wire to cut. And it cuts out 
And despite, the phone line cuts out. The phone line cuts out. Despite the whole crux of this movie being everything he's doing is to save the lives of his wife and daughter. He's like, well, red, white, and blue. You've never failed me in the past. So he just guesses which wire to cut. Yeah, he and he could have killed them all. I mean, it probably would have in real life if he just cut a random wire. And it wasn't really a necessity for him to do this. No, I feel like they could have found another way to write around that. What did you think about the terrorists? Like, how did they compare to Die Hard's terrorists? Gary Oldman is fun. You know, he's, he's laying on this thick Russian accent. He's not a Hans Gruber caliber villain. He doesn't look threatening. Like, he and some of the other terrorists look so soft. And their plan kind of sucks, too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as is often the problem with these movies, like, the slightest thing causes their entire plan to spin out of control. Like, once they gain access to the plane, it's immediately landed, so they have to kill both of the pilots, and they barely just get up in the air again. And all of the bad guys, except for uh, Andrew Devoff, who uh, horror fans will recognize as the Wishmaster, I'd say very few of them actually look threatening. Especially there's the his main sidekick. Oh, the pilot, yeah. Yeah, it's, he looks like somebody's annoying sort of dickish friend like he doesn't look like he would be threatening in the least Ilya baskin who also played peter parker's landlord in the spider-man movies with toby mcguire do you what? remember that no i feel like he sort of just plays like a typical russian stereotype in every movie that he's in but he's usually like the comic relief and here you kind of want someone more like Carl in Die Hard, you know, with the yeah. long blonde hair. But I think that they really were trying to mix it up with the casting as well as they could. Mm -hmm. And they did probably spend all of their money on Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford as President James Marshall. Do you think he's, do you think he's presidential? Yeah. Yeah, I think he has the stamina to be president. <laughs> what about the look? <laughs> the look? He's got the look? He might have the look. He yeah. might have the look. Uh, I really enjoy him, uh, his performance as James Marshall. Um, I have to say that I don't enjoy it quite as much as Bill Pullman in Independence Day. <laughs> you were reading about some kind of uh, quiz that they do or a poll that's done all the, uh, that's done yearly where they ask who should be your fictional president. It's Harrison Ford in this, Bill Pullman in Independence Day, probably a bunch of the 24 and West Wing presidents and mm -hmm, uh like martin sheen yeah and and uh morgan freeman obviously in Deep impact although he's really busy being god as well oh yeah yeah of course but apparently as long as they've done this poll um just according to this article i read harrison ford has always come in number one i don't know if i get that you definitely want him in your corner if he if you know if i'm in a hostage situation i want harrison ford but if aliens come to town i'm gonna want bill pullman up there in the skies he's a little bit more inspirational yeah you know there's nothing really inspirational about this president he's uh i think that that's kind of my bone to pick with him he's very uh He's a real hardliner. He does. He says that he doesn't want to negotiate with terrorists ever, but then he spends, you know, the whole movie kind of negotiating with them. And certainly uh, his vice president, Glenn Close, has to negotiate a fair deal. I will give this movie credit for two different moments where I felt like they did something really interesting with his character. And one is where he's in the lower part of the plane kind of doing this face-off with the terrorists because they know he's messing with the plane and parts of the plane. 
And so they're trying to threaten and trying to get him to come up and expose himself so they can kill him off. And so they're doing a countdown to kill one of the hostages. And he knows her personally. This is someone that they showed, you know, joking around with his wife and stuff. Like, they definitely have a personal connection. And he lets her die. And you kind of share that moment with him. And it's that kind of difficult choice he has to make because he has to weigh well, I can give myself up and die and then everyone's going to die or I can stay down here, let her die, but still maybe save the others. I felt like that was a pretty powerful moment where you kind of have an emotional connection with him. Then the other one was when he cries. I thought that was really interesting because you don't usually see strong men crying in movies. It really kind of pushes male stereotypes when the terrorist was threatening to kill his family. And I thought that was a really good piece of character development. I like both of those moments, but the first one was a direct steal from Die Hard. Yeah. Like, even the counting down. Like, there's in these movies, there's always one of the hostages tries to cut some sort of deal with the but terrorists. in Die Hard, he doesn't have a connection with that person. That's true. It is more painful. Because in this painful. one, this is like somebody that's kind of a family friend slash someone that works for him. That's true. There's there's definitely higher emotional stakes, whereas in Die Hard, you're, you're really not supposed to like Ellis. And in Die Hard, really, Bruce is just there for his wife. Yeah, that's true. Although you... Well, and he's kind of altruistic. He wants to save everybody. I think he wants to save everyone. Yeah, he does want to save everybody. Why else did he shoot into the air and get all those hostages off the roof, you know? Yeah. Man, we, we really just should have watched Die Hard again. <laughs> Interestingly, Bill Clinton, when he was in office, it was well documented that he watched a lot of movies at the theater at the White House. And Air Force One, he actually saw twice and he liked it a great deal. <laughs> But he had some notes, and his notes were that the real Air Force One does not have this escape pod system, which is surprising to me. I mean, it sort of seems like a good idea. You want to bail out. At the same time, maybe a, a parachute is better? Well, that's the other thing. There was no parachute ramp in the back of the real Air Force One. Whereas uh, uh, the sequence where William H. Macy is leading them all to jump out of the back of the plane into God knows where... I don't think would quite play the same way. Yeah, I know. I, you were saying like, oh, all those people survived. And then I just was like, well, but we don't know where they are. Because technically they were either flying over enemy territory or water. Probably over water, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Who knows if they survived? Well, hold on. Let me think about the the geography here. They, they start in Germany and they're flying presumably into the former yeah. USSR. But not that long later. I mean, at least in movie time, it's it's very quickly. They say at the um, in the White House, they have to keep flying because they're over enemy territory and they need to figure out a different way to get them. But then suddenly they end up over water later. So God knows. What's going on? Oh, yes. That uh, infamous CGI crash scene. <laughs> this is a film that uh, is sort of held up by people on the left and the right. I mentioned Bill Clinton, but recently Donald Trump mentioned that he's a fan of this <laughs> film. Uh, it sort of re-entered the public conversation, and that was kind of interesting. What was it exactly he said? He said that we need a strong president like Harrison Ford in this movie. He liked Air Force One because Harrison Ford, quote, stood up for America, end quote. 
But then Harrison Ford said, look, this is just a movie, man, and you're not going to make it to the White House. What do you think about the logic of shooting machine guns on a plane? Like, that's always bothered me, but you brought up a good point. So my point was, this is Air Force One, and it's a super version of Air Force One and that has escape pods and stuff. So I would imagine that it's also armored and has bulletproof glass, so they don't really have to worry about the bullets. Because usually shooting guns on a plane is a big no-no for obvious reasons. The cabin pressure. The cabin, yeah. Um, and of course, all of these terrorists are armed to the teeth with submachine guns, and there's tons of shootouts or bullets are flying all over the place. I feel like uh, that probably your theory uh, makes the most sense. That's probably what the writers are going for, or they completely forgot about the whole pressure thing and just didn't care about it. What'd you think of Glenn Close as the vice president? Pretty uh, progressive for 1997. Well, I mean, it did come after somebody had made a vice presidential bid as a woman. Mm -hmm. They had uh, Geraldine Ferraro. I think I found Glenn Close's character a little bit disappointing, though, because I kind of felt like I was really excited about her being being the actress in this because I expected a lot of her, but she ended up having a character that was kind of flat, and I I blame the writing. I feel like she was probably a little bit limited because her character is really just kind of written to add a little bit of edge. She does some negotiation, but she has to just kind of like keep cool and calm and push for them to just have faith in the president. And it doesn't really go outside of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of intrigue with keeping facts away from the press until they decided to just kind of broadcast the rescue efforts. That was so weird. The end of the movie just didn't make... it. The end of the movie was just... It was 20 minutes too long, and they brought in the press room, and it was just confusing and kind of like, what? this would never happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to these multiple endings. It sort of has a Lord of the Rings thing going on where they have, like, three too many endings for this movie. It's a but false ending. It, it's interesting because Glenn Close does sort of have a thankless role here. I feel like, you know, she's sort of... She's sort of the Sergeant Al Powell of the movie in a way. Like she's you like know a, what? yeah. She's that's a good she's point. part of the the group outside of the hostage situation. It's kind of a sounding board that's kinda, of, you know, talking to uh talking to our McLean or our our Marshall in this case mm-hmm. over the uh satellite phone and just, you know, keeping him calm, you know. But then there's all this banter over the twenty fifth amendment and who actually will succeed him should he die. And, you know, stuff that's kind of interesting from a kind of a wonky perspective, but doesn't really move the plot forward in any meaningful way. Do you think uh, President Marshall's name is a wink-wink to the Sky Marshall? I didn't think about that, (laughs) but now I think you're correct. Let's talk about these endings here, because I think that the first ending is totally satisfying. Okay, what is the first ending? Basically, it's all come down to a one-on-one between Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman has... uh... Also know that this is after Harrison Ford cried, and uh, Gary Oldman has convinced him to release the evil commie Raddick, a.k.a. Other Ivan. They're by the parachute ramp, and Gary Oldman is about to parachute his way to, to freedom, I guess. There's a big fist fight between him and Harrison Ford, and that's when he... uh, wraps his neck up in a parachute and activates it, uh, breaking Gary Oldman's neck. He does say, get off my plane, which is a great line. 
And it's a great villain death. That's the way you want to kill a villain in one of these movies. It is and a great death. And you get to see him float down with his broken neck. You want to have, in a, in a diehard scenario, you want your villain's death to tie into the uh, geographical space that it's taking place in. So In the use of gravity. In the use of gravity. So, of course, they send his dead body parachuting out of the plane. Now... That's a perfectly fine ending. And then, of course, they he calls in and has Raddick killed. And that's yeah. all wrapped up. But So you kind of feel like it's finished, but the only thing that's left open is this Secret Service agent guy that had helped the terrorists get on in the first place. Which should have been resolved earlier, I feel like, because he's such a minor villain in all of this. But we get to the second ending where basically all of these Russian fighter planes that are loyal to Raddick swoop in, and there's this big sort of aerial dogfight that we don't really have any stakes in. Uh, so that sort of wraps up. Harrison Ford assumes control of the plane. And the third and goofiest ending mm -hmm. is when they bring in another plane to tie this cord to connect the planes and have them uh, zip line basically from Air Force One to this other yeah. plane. By positioning Air Force One above this other plane, they're using gravity to move them across the zip line. Well, they're actually going up and down depending on which direction they're going across the line. And of course they introduce this ticking clock out of nowhere where it's like, oh, we only have time to take one more person. And the only people left on the plane are Harrison Ford... Uh, William H. Macy and evil Xander Berkeley. And of course, this is the point when evil Xander Berkeley decides, you know what? I'm going to be the guy who gets off the plane. So he tries to murder them all as if the other people, the people on the other plane aren't going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what his real plan is here. Because he could have, like, tried to wait it out and said, like, you could take one more, you could take one more. Like, this is where I'm kind of like, I don't think... Because he's either facing a life, life in jail or, I mean, if, you, if you're found out killing the president, you're probably going to get the death penalty. And my real problem with this ending is after a movie that has had a ton of collateral damage, so many innocent people die in this movie, do we really need to kill William H. Macy too? That's like watching a puppy getting killed. Like when they... And the other military guy that was trying to save them from the who's from the other plane. And this is I mean, this is an Independence Day problem too, where it's like, at what point does the collateral damage just become so high and so unbelievable that there can be no happy ending. And like, what are you left with when you're on the other side of this traumatic experience? Yeah, like, so many people have died. You can't really feel good about it, because you watch William H. Macy die, you watch these two other innocent guys die, and then you have, you know, the terrorist, not the terrorist, but I guess this b betrayer die on the plane, and Harrison Ford's just, you know, flapping in the wind. Doesn't, doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's not a feel-good movie. I felt good when I saw Bruce Willis's bloody form at the end. Yeah, I feel like there's there's more of a catharsis at the end of Die Hard, whereas yeah. the numerous endings is kind of like a little exhausting. It definitely it definitely could have ended shortly after Gary Oldman flew off the plane. The, the real climax of the movie is is Gary Oldman's death, mm -hmm. and what a death it is. That's an actor that knows how to die in a movie. <laughs> This is yet another movie that wouldn't have been made after 9-11. Yes, and the director, Wolfgang Peterson, even said as much. Which is interesting, because I guess, I mean, if this was to happen in real life, what are the odds that 
there would even be hostages in this situation. Yeah. Like, our whole idea of a hijacking is completely different now, especially when it's a plane. Yeah, good point. You would have, like, the, our imagining would have just gone straight to them crashing it somewhere. There have been other plane action movies since. I think it just took a while. Snakes on a Plane comes to mind. Well, I was thinking the one with Jodie Foster where she has to save her Oh, yeah, girl. Flight Plane. Mm -hmm. flight, flight Plane. <laughs> flight Plan is the name of that movie. Uh, Red Eye is one that comes to mind. Oh, God, that was a creepy movie. Well, Sean, I think it's about that time. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? On this watch of it, I wasn't quite as enthused about it. And when it really is working for me is when Harrison Ford is sneaking around the plane and, you know, killing bad guys. But I, it's probably a rent it for me. I, I, would like to, I would like to remove like 20 minutes from this movie. Just like snip the tape. It's got some major problems. It has not aged well. I really like Harrison Ford. I just keep picturing him in the Sabrina remake where he plays a really awkward rich guy. I, I Yeah, I'm going to just barely let this pass with a rent it. <sighs> this is really difficult. It is difficult. Because I kind of feel like it's a tape over it because you have Harrison Ford, but they didn't take advantage of his really great knack for humor it could have been anybody in this role huh yeah it really could have been anyone and it's like they squandered having harrison ford just for the name he's very grimacy throughout the movie yeah which is not the way i like my harrison ford you they know also totally squandered glenn close in this movie and she's a wonderful actress and they really didn't do anything with her like everybody was fairly flat in this yeah, William H. Macy is squandered. Like, the only one that really has any dimension or is interesting or dynamic at all is Gary Oldman, the villain. Yeah, I mean, Gary Oldman, he's one of those, I could watch him read the phone book actors. Yeah. You know, I'm going to change my answer. This is a tape over it. <laughs> I, I, Can you do that? Yes. You're on the record. Well, well, no, because, I mean, I think that once the episode is over, you can't change. Because I think sometimes, like, maybe even you could just borrow it from someone that has it because you shouldn't spend money on it i think okay this this is my rationale for it being a tape over it is like yes there's some classic things to it they kill the villain really cool and it's a great yeah. idea for a movie but i think the potential is so much higher than what is actually realized because like I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but like in Die Hard, they really take advantage of Bruce Willis and the different things that he has to offer to that role, and they just did not do that with Harrison Ford. Yeah, you know, the more we talk about it, the more two-dimensional everyone is in this movie. Yeah. Also, what person have you ever met that's like, Air Force One is my favorite movie, I watch it all the time. No like, one. No one has no ever one. said that to me. No one says that. Like, this is, like, it's okay. It's watchable, but it's just not that good. I don't think I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking about all the other diehard clones, and I think I like them all more than this. I like, I definitely like Speed more than this. Speed is fun. Probably. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember enjoying Under Siege, which is the Steven Seagal one. You said that there's a Van Damme one? Oh, there, yeah, that one's probably worse than this. <laughs> there's Sudden Death, which is Jean-Claude Van Damme in a hockey arena. I feel like my dad's his only fan. And the bottom of the barrel, of course, is Skyscraper with Anna Nicole Smith, oh. which is literally Die Hard with boobs. Okay. So, so yeah, I guess Air Force One is sort of a middle-of-the-road Die Hard clone, but... 
tape over it nonetheless. I did think of a positive thing I can say about this movie. It doesn't demonize people of color. That's, well, yeah, I guess so. And it does not feel like an aggressively right-wing or jingoistic movie. Not necessarily. necessarily. Like, I mean, we had a long discussion about whether or not Bill Pullman was a Democrat (laughs) or Republican in the Independence Day episode. And this, like, there's so little information really given about his policy making, except that he's a hardliner with terrorists. That could be anybody. I feel like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just all a little too bland and two-dimensional to even have a conversation like that. Yeah. He's no President Whitmore, that's for sure. All right, so that concludes Air Force One, and it concludes September. And we are going into a very spooky month for tapeheads. Ooh. So, Lindsay, have you picked out an appropriately spooky film for your episode in October? I don't know if it's spooky enough by your standards. Uh, well, we'll see. I picked Double Double Toil and Trouble last Halloween, so spooky casts a wide net. But I want us to watch The Witches, based on the classic Roald Dahl novel. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, if you're a kid, that's a very scary movie. That was a terrifying movie. Although, we have established before, I was scared of everything when I was a child. (laughs) So. There are some terrifying visuals in that movie, for sure. Oh, yeah. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. If you'd like to learn more about us and our other episodes, you can check our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. If you want to send us any questions, you can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 